The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with host Victoria Moran. Victoria is an author, inspirational speaker, and a certified holistic health counselor and vegan lifestyle coach. She's here to entertain, educate, and inspire you on your journey to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Now, let's get this party started. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Main Street Vegan. It's so wonderful to know that you're out there either with me on this lovely 8th of May 2013 or sometime later on as you are listening via podcast while you exercise or walk your dog or some other way get more than one thing accomplished. Speaking of walking dogs, our guest today is going to be Dr. Armighty May. I have wanted to have her on for so long. Dr. May is called the vegan vet. Now, she's not the only vegan vet, but you know, there aren't as many of them out there as one would think. So if you have questions about the health of your dog or your cat, or if you're just curious about some veterinary issue, you can contact us. You can either call 888-558-6489 and ask me a question or ask a question of Dr. May, or you can tweet your question to me, Victoria underscore Moran, M-O-R-A-N, and I will see your tweet and uh, we'll get your question answered. It's so lovely to be interactive, isn't it? So I will just catch you up a little bit on what's been going on with me the past week. If you listened to last week's show, 
which was quite fascinating. We talked with the co-author of Betty Goes Vegan, the big cookbook that takes the Betty Crocker work and turns it vegan for the 21st century. And we also had on a charming young man from plantbasedsolutions.com talking about vegan businesses and vegan foods and everything that's happening out there. There is just so much that, that's going on. But when I did the show last week, I was actually in the studio at Unity Village, and that was just such a special thing. Unity Village is a very special place to me. It's outside Kansas City, Missouri, and I grew up in Kansas City, and the woman that took care of me, this was before there was daycare, and both of my parents worked, so they hired this lovely woman who was grandmother age at the time to live with us and look out for me, and she was part of of Unity, this wonderful kind of non-denominational spiritual movement all about positive thinking and lots of love and making things good in this world as well as the next. So she would take me out to Unity Village. They used to have um, orchards and you could buy peaches and pears and apples and things like that. And I remember that was really kind of my connection to the country. And every time I go to Unity Village, it's just a really special thing. So it was great to be there last week. And it really reminded me of what Unity Online Radio is. This is a wonderful movement for good in the world, and I hope that you will all want to join me in supporting this effort. You can go to the website of Unity Online Radio and, and make a contribution and just help help this wonderful uh, process go forward. It uh, takes a lot of courage for someone in an organization to invite someone like me to do a show and call it Main Street Vegan. You know, that's still a little bit out there. But the lovely Denise Blake at Unity called me just about a year ago to the day and said, you know what, our founders were vegetarian. It's time we get back to that part of our roots. Do you want to do a show and call it Main Street Vegan? So thanks, Denise, as we approach our one-year anniversary of the Main Street Vegan show. And thanks to everybody who's listening and who's helping us build our listenership and make this a force to be reckoned with. So real quick, before I bring on Dr. May, let me just catch you up to date with things that have been going on with me. For those of you who are listening for the very first time and have no idea who I am, I am Victoria Moran, and I write books. I have written lots and lots of books in my life. The most recent one is called Main Street Vegan, and I have been a vegan for nearly 30 years. It's been a wonderful, wonderful gift in my life, and I just love sharing these ideas with you. Today, I had lunch with a great, wonderful colleague and and mentor named Colleen Patrick Goudreau. Many of you know her. Her first book was The Art of Vegan Baking, and now she has another just little tiny book that's called On Being Vegan, sweetest little book. It's $9.99 cover price. You can probably get it on Amazon for pocket change. Sweetest, sweetest book of just what this compassionate way of being in the world is. Colleen is really adamant. We're not talking about a diet. We're not talking about a trend. We're talking about a statement for compassion. To be vegan is not an end in itself. 
It's a means for living compassionately in this world. I just love how she thinks. So I met her today down at the New Peace Food Cafe in the Union Square area of New York City. And people always want to know, what do you eat? I know what you don't eat. What do you eat? So I paid really close attention to what we had for lunch today, and I'm going to share that with you. So we started with juice. I had a green juice with lots of lemon in it, and Colleen had a carrot-based juice that was very, very pretty. I think it's carrot and grapefruit juice and some other lovely things. Then she had the high-protein kale salad with tempeh in it and other wonderful things. And I had the quinoa salad, which also is high-protein. Quinoa is it's considered a grain. It's actually a grass. It's got all the amino acids, just like soy, just like hemp. And that was a really yummy salad. But, you know, when you have salad, you sometimes want something that just brings it down to earth a little bit, something a little more grounding. So we each ordered the fabulous Peace Food Cafe biscuit. I got a plain biscuit. Colleen had a vegetable biscuit, meaning that hers had carrots and zucchini and other yummy things in there. I think it's so important to let you guys know that we don't just eat greens all the time and drink juice. We do that too. But sometimes we also have a great big whopping, yummy, crunchy drop biscuit. And that just really made it all perfect. Well, maybe not quite perfect because I felt the need to finish it all off with a fabulous Brazil nut chai tea. Now, half of the biscuit was left, so I kind of had half a biscuit and a Brazil nut chai For dessert, it was really good. You know what? We do not sacrifice anything here. (laughs) We just have a really good time, really good food, really good friends, and it's nice. So what else has been going on here? This past Saturday night, wonderful event in New York City. It was called Fashion Loves Animals. Well, that's an affirmation. You know, sometimes we do these affirmations. I am wealthy. And maybe we're not quite, but we want to bring more of that into our lives. Well, I think fashion loves animals is an affirmation at this point because we know there's a lot of animal cruelty in the fashion world. But there is beginning to be a compassionate fashion world. So this was a fabulous fashion show with all the bells and whistles. It featured clothing from Vote. It used to be Vote Couture. You can still find them online at V-A-U-T-E Couture.com. Wonderful um, accessories and menswear from Brave Gentleman. I'm going to be having uh, Joshua Catcher, the designer of Brave Gentleman, on the show hopefully in August. And the models came out with little dogs from the Humane Society shelter who are looking for families. It was just absolutely perfect. That was a benefit for Farm Sanctuary. And I do feel grateful that I had the nerve to get myself to New York City. You know, a lot of people do things like that fresh out of high school. When they're 18, they go somewhere. Well, I did that too. When I was 18, I went to London. But that kind of overshot, that was like really far. I went from Kansas City to London. I was over there not quite a year and came back. It took me until, let's just say, midlife to make it to New York. But you know what? When you've got a dream in your heart and you want to do something, it doesn't matter when you do it. It's a very, very good thing. And I am happy to share with all of you everywhere 
what's going on with us here in New York City in the world of animal welfare, animal rights, and vegan fun games and deliciousness. So stay with us through the breaks coming up and then join us with your questions and your listening ears for Dr. Armighty May, the vegan veterinarian. We'll be back. It takes you to power Unity Online Radio. If you'd like to make a positive difference in the world, you can by contributing to this global ministry. Unity Online Radio relies on listener support to broadcast the messages of unity to an awakening world. To contribute, visit www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. What if you could experience vibrant health, help heal the planet, and be a great friend to God's animal kingdom through simple choices you make at breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Authors Victoria and Adair Moran say you can do this easily, affordably, and deliciously in their new book, Main Street Vegan. Everything you need to know to eat healthfully and live compassionately in a real world. Loaded with practical tips, straightforward information, and fabulous recipes, Main Street Vegan will help you on your journey toward a plant-based diet. The perks include more energy, an easy way to keep your weight where you want it, feeling younger as you grow older, and maybe even a boost to your spiritual life. Purchase Main Street Vegan from BN.com. Amazon.com or your favorite bookseller. What if you were intentional about your life, committed to having more energy and being more vibrant? Join Reverend Temple Hayes, Senior Minister of First Unity at Unity Campus in St. Petersburg, Florida as she guides you on a journey to an intentional and energetic life. Empower your life and fully express the wondrous energy, love, and joy you hold in your wildest imagining. Joyfully and actively know that more important than what happens after you die is the deeper and enriching concern for what happens while you're living. How can you experience an incredible life right now? Learn how each week on The Intentional Spirit, Seeing and Being, Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Central Time, right here on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. listening to Main Street Vegan with Victoria Moran. If you have questions or comments about today's topic or any other area of interest, we invite you to follow Victoria underscore Moran on Twitter or email her at MainStreetVegan at UnityOnlineRadio.org. Now, back to Main Street Vegan. Hello, lovely listeners, and welcome back. We have on the line now Dr. Armighty May, the vegan veterinarian. 
Dr. May obtained her Doctor of Veterinary Medicine degree from the University of California, Davis School of Veterinary Medicine back in 2005. And after graduating, she spent 20 months working at a 24-hour emergency dog and cat hospital in the Los Angeles area. Oh, my gosh, that sounds like the makings of a television drama. She then became (laughs) certified in veterinary acupuncture through the Qi Institute of Chinese Medicine and started a house call practice for dogs and cats in Los Angeles. As a practicing vet, Dr. May educates people about preventive medicine as well as holistic options for treating their companion animals' ailments. Since 2006, she served on the board of directors for Red Rover, an animal protection organization that brings animals out of crisis and into care. She also does extensive volunteer work. She speaks all over the country. And because she is bilingual, she has provided volunteer veterinary services in areas such as Guatemala and Nicaragua, where access to veterinary care is is quite limited. And you can find out more about her at her website, veganvet.net. Welcome to the show, Dr. May. Thank you so much for having me, Victoria. It's great to talk with you. uh, Well, I'm just so thrilled that you're out there and, and doing what you do. The first question that comes to mind for me is, why is being vegan in the world of veterinarians so unusual? There are more medical doctors who are vegan than DVMs. Yeah, it's a it's a really good question, and it's one that I've pondered for a long time myself. And when I was in vet school about eight years ago now, as uh, when I graduated, I was kind of an outcast amongst my classmates in the sense that I was viewed as as kind of an extremist or a fringe uh, person. I remember before even my first day of classes, uh, which was back in September of two thousand one. I had put a bunch of locker stickers on my locker that said things like, love animals, don't eat them, protect farm animals, go vegan. I had just attended my first animal rights conference the summer before in 2001 in D.C., and I was really excited about the prospect of, you know, potentially getting some of my classmates on board with the vegan lifestyle. And so I put these stickers on my locker. Well, soon enough, I realized that it wasn't the most welcoming atmosphere, and I actually was called into the dean's office six weeks into my first quarter of vet school because a classmate of mine could complain they were offended by my locker stickers. Oh. That came as a, a big shock to me, as you can imagine, and uh, it, it, was a, it was a tough four years for sure. Um, there were maybe a handful of other vegans in a class of 122 of us and more vegetarians, but not very outspoken about why they ate the way they did. And I guess there was a, a sense that those pursuing what they refer to as food animal medicine were just as worthy of uh, ded- you know dedicated to what they were doing and didn't want to be made to feel that they were wrong in any way for pursuing that. So perhaps they they felt threatened by someone who said that well animals have a right to not be confined and mutilated without anesthetic, which is what happens to animals on factory farms. So, uh, yeah, it, it was it was definitely a, a rude awakening. That's so interesting. I was just having lunch with Colleen Patrick Goudreau, and we were talking about that very issue, the idea that people feel that we're trying to tell them 
that they can't have their beliefs or, or I was a Twitter attacked yesterday. There needs to be a word for that to attacked or something. Okay. But all I did was announce this show. You know, this is, I think that this is a very innocuous kind of show. I mean, I'm talking to a veterinarian about cats and dogs, but the woman wrote back something like that. I, I am a vegan warrior why don't you just let people have their beliefs? And that huh. was really interesting because I certainly believe in, in tolerance and I believe in the Constitution and people being able to come to their own conclusions as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else. But, of course, the way I see it, animals are beings too, and when they're being hurt, that's a different kind of issue, is that what you run into with your colleagues as well? Yeah, you know, often people talk about personal choice as if it's a matter of vanilla versus chocolate. And to me, this is something very different because it's a matter of morality and how we're treating sentient beings who are literally at our mercy. So when someone says, well, it's my choice to eat animals, I really don't think that that's uh, authentic and, and truthful way to address that issue because when you look at what the animals go through, they don't have a choice. So if we're actually trying to justify the behavior of enabling animal exploitation, cruelty, and everything that goes on in factory farms, which is abominable, we're, we're not really being truthful about the reality of what these animals endure. And so I think it, it's not a matter of personal choice. I think it is a moral question. And just as way back in the day, slaves were, you know, considered property or uh, people of a certain skin color were, were considered acceptably to be held as slaves, that mentality changed. And it took a long time to arrive at that evolution, but it, it did happen. And I think the same is happening with respect to how we view animals and that people are beginning to realize that they deserve their freedom and the right to have normal bodily expressions of their natural instincts and have access to fresh air and sunlight and not have their beaks and ears cut off and their tails docked and get castrated without anesthetic, um, just as much as a dog or a cat. Um, one of the things that I'm involved with here in the L.A. area, I'm um, United Animal Advocates of LA meetup organizer, and we do outreach on Third Street Promenade where we show snippets of earthlings and meet your meat, and we pass out vegan, outre vegan outreach literature. And I uh, frequently will tell people, well, you know, if I were to castrate a dog without anesthetic, that would be horrible. I would have my license revoked. It's just so outrageous. But yet pigs, who are just as capable of feeling as dogs are, are being castrated without anesthetic day in and day out, and it's considered perfectly legal. There's a problem with that. There is, and thank you so much for speaking out for, for rationality as, as well as for compassion. So, Armighty, were the same kinds of convictions that made you vegan what led you to want to be a veterinarian? You know, I always had a love for animals uh, from a young age. I knew I wanted to be a vet, and I grew up with dogs and cats around me, and I, I took satisfaction in, in helping them and just being around them and having their company. 
And it didn't really get to uh, my understanding of the, the whole factory farming industry until I was in my late teens when I read Diet for a New America. I actually was raised vegetarian by my mom, and I, I loved animals and I didn't want to eat them, but I didn't realize about the cruelty in the dairy and egg industries until later on. And so I went vegan when I was 18 when I read Diet for a New America. And honestly, that's like really the best decision I've ever made in terms of being in alignment with my values. And once I learned more, it emboldened my desire to become a veterinarian, not only to help individual animals, but to be able to be an advocate for them on a broad scale. And, you know, I've done various speaking engagements, and now I have an Internet radio show on animal issues that I do. So I try to utilize my credentials to empower others to learn about what happens to animals and make a difference as much as I can to, to make this world a better place for them. Well, that's great. Now, I'm fascinated by your religious tradition. We're here on Unity Online Radio where we're interested in spirituality and, and finding truth. And I see on your bio that you are a Zoroastrian. You're the first Zoroastrian I have ever met Although I do recall that the father of Jay Dinshaw, the late co-founder of the American Vegan Society, was also a Zoroastrian. So I'm finding it interesting that the only two I've known anything about in the modern era happen to be vegetarian and vegan. So tell us a little bit about this faith and what it has to do with your kindness to animals. Yeah, sure. So uh, Zoroastrianism is the oldest monotheistic religion. It originated in ancient Persia uh, around, some say, as far back as 7000 B.C., although the date is somewhat open to debate. Uh, but anyway, the, the main tenets of the religion are good thoughts, good words, good deeds, telling the truth, charity, purity, and reverence for all life. And although, unfortunately, most Rastrians eat meat today, I believe there are tenets of the religion which are consistent with following a vegetarian diet because Part of our duty as Zoroastrians is to stand up for what's good and fight evil. It's really fundamental to the faith. And we are supposed to show compassion to animals. We're supposed to look after our fellow humans. And we're supposed to protect the planet. And all of those things are in alignment with following a plant-based diet. Uh, specifically, there are certain days of the month during which flesh foods are supposed to be abstained from. And, and those are uh, bum and roj. Roj just means day in the Zoroastrian calendar system. And Bauman is an Amisha Spenta, which is an angel-like figure that uh, whose job is to look after animal welfare. So on Bauman Roj and a couple other Rojas, uh, Moor, Gosh, and Ram, uh, we are not supposed to eat any flesh at all. And then during the month of Bauman, also, uh, we're supposed to follow a vegetarian diet. Now, just as People of other faiths don't always follow what's prescribed as to following a vegetarian diet during Lent or what have you. There are Zoroastrians who don't adhere to those rules or guidelines and eat meat whenever they feel like it, um, but that is the ideal. And so when I've given talks to Zoroastrian audiences about the importance of vegetarianism and Zoroastrianism, I say that, well, you know, if we're supposed to abstain from eating flesh during these days, the ideal would be to abstain from it all the time. And to take that you know, a step further and, and be vegan is the best, I think. Now, of course, a lot of people still eat 
dead animals. It's it's very um, ingrained in culture and, and habits, and so that's where we run into you know challenges just trying to educate people about alternatives and you know set an example of a compassionate, healthy lifestyle. Well, I like how you said here when you were describing this that that this that veganism, stewardship of creation, kindness to animals is consistent with the teachings of the religion, even though, and this is a quote from you, even though a lot of practicing Zoroastrians are not yet vegetarians. And I've been thinking about this not yet. The other night I attended something pretty historic here in New York City. It was the first mayoral forum on animal rights. And all wow. these people want to be mayor of New York City. <laughs> you know, it's a pretty mm-hmm. big deal. And so every mayoral candidate, with the exception of one, a woman named Christine Quinn, who has shown herself to not like animals very much, she didn't show, but all the other ones did. And I was really interested by the the personal stories. You know, they all wanted to talk about their dog, their cat, their cockatiel, and and even some of these these broader issues. And and one gentleman, our public advocate, Bill de Blasio, said, Now I must admit, I'm not vegetarian yet, but my wife and I have raised two vegetarians. And he went on to say that their children came to this on their own, that this was how they wanted to live and that he and his wife had supported that choice. And I found that very admirable, and I put that on Twitter, and somebody tweeted back, you know, something like, well, you know, why doesn't he go all the way with it? Oh, and I just think things come in stages. I wish from the animal's point of view that the stage for everybody was, oh, yeah, okay, good, cool, I'm vegan now. But uh, mm-hmm. it seems like that isn't always the way it is, and it's very nice to have this openness for those who are not yet vegetarian. So when we come back, Armighty, I want to talk a little bit about some specifics about caring for our companion animals and also what to do when you're a vegetarian and you want your animal, who looks pretty carnivorous, to be a vegetarian too. Dr. May's website is veganvet.net. Stay with us through these announcements and we'll be back with more Main Street Vegan here on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Affirm the good that flows within you and stretch to reach your divine potential with daily inspirational messages from Daily Word. My affirmation of faith is, I release and I let go. I release my desire to control people or situations. I let go of fear, worry, and doubt. I trust in divine power, which is infinitely capable of establishing right outcomes. I align myself with this power through prayer and meditation. Opening my mind and heart to the wisdom of the universe, I recall the promise, I am with you always to the end of the age. With this assurance, I find the strength to let go of anything holding me back. Letting go and letting God is a choice. It empowers me to move forward with ease and confidence. 
It provides me peace of mind and the assurance of divine order. As I let go and let God, I open the door to infinite possibilities. Daily Word magazine is now available in a digital format. A one-year subscription to Daily Word digital magazine with audio is only $9.95. That's less than three cents a day to start your day right, centered and connected to the truth within you. To learn how you can subscribe to this online interactive magazine, go to www.dailyword.com. Do you think you know all you want to know about the characters in the Bible? Do you know who could be called the king who loved too much? Or what it means to be a Jezebel? Or that the best love story in the Bible begins with the declared commitment of two women? The Bible's symbolic meaning can help you transform your life and discover the presence and power of God within you. Find out what these characters can teach you about your own life today by tuning into Biblical Power for Your Life. Each week, co-hosts Rev. Karen Tudor and E.J. Niles present a Bible character from a historical, cultural, psychological, and symbolic perspective. Your comments and questions are part of this lively discussion. Tune in every Thursday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, and power up your life only at Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Thank you for tuning in for Main Street Vegan. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. If you have questions for our guest today, Dr. R. Mighty May, the vegan vet, you can call us at 888-558-6489, or you can tweet your questions to me at Victoria underscore Moran. So what do we do, Dr. May, when we go vegan and the dog hasn't yet? Excellent question. Well, dogs are actually omnivores, and they can thrive on a vegan diet provided it meets their nutritional needs, which can be achieved through plant and mineral sources. And there are quite a few excellent vegan dog foods available on the market. Uh, V-Dog, PetFoodShop.com has Evolution, uh, V-Dog you can order from v-dog.com, and there are many other store-available brands that have vegetarian formulas such as Natural Balance, Nature's Recipe, and Pet Guard. And one of the benefits of vegan diets over the commercially available meat-based pet foods is that they don't contain all the slaughterhouse waste from diseased and dying animals, including spinal cord tissue, brain, slaughterhouse waste that really don't belong in anyone's food. And some of the, the toxins that go into these commercially available meat, meat-based foods uh, could be partially contributing to some of the cancers and other degenerative diseases that we're seeing in our animal companion. So I think, you know, both from an ethical and a health standpoint, switching to a vegan diet for a dog is, is very appropriate. Now, there, there are certain things that you need to be careful about, which we can go into further um, in a little bit here. But one of the things that I've actually seen in, in certain cases with dogs who have skin allergies, which is manifested by itching and scratching, licking the feet and so forth, uh, that typically has to do with food allergy when they're licking their feet particularly, it can be really relieved in large part by following a, a vegan diet if they're allergic to meat protein, which a lot of them are. 
And we had a dog who was allergic to meat protein. And this was years ago. I, I was vegan, but I didn't know dogs could be. And it was actually after trying every kind of meat in existence, it was our veterinarian said, well, I think your dog has to be vegetarian. I was thrilled. <laughs> I was like, I wanted her to be vegetarian. I just didn't know it was okay. Now, we do have a question from a listener, Rosaline. Rosaline has an elderly dog who's always eaten a meat diet, but now this 90-pound Labrador retriever at 13 years of age is showing some deterioration, and her diet is Purina dry food for older dogs and soy products. The question is, do you think it would be too extreme a change to replace her Purina dog chow with a vegan alternative such as V-Dog? Hmm. Well, I think that it, it is something that should be done gradually to minimize the occurrence of diarrhea and vomiting, which sometimes can happen if there's an abrupt switch to a new diet. So gradually increasing the proportion of the new food while decreasing the proportion of the old food over the course of a week or two is a reasonable approach. If a dog is ultra-sensitive, you may have to be even more gradual, but with the, the Purina food, that does contain byproducts, which, as we mentioned include diseased body parts that aren't fit for human consumption, what's known as 4D meat. And uh, that, that could be a problem if that's given for a long period of time in terms of degenerative diseases. So there may be actually a health benefit in the long term to switching that dog to something such as V-Dog. What does the 4D stand for? Dead, disabled, dying, and diseased. Animals. Oh my goodness! Well, so um, those those animals are getting into the pet food products. Wow. So, and how about cats, Doctor May? Is it possible to have a vegan or vegetarian cat? It is, and actually, my two cats are vegan primarily, although uh, they are naturally carnivores. So, there are certain issues that have to be carefully attended to, in particular. They have to have taurine. That's absolutely a requirement for cats. Otherwise, they can go blind or develop heart disease. But all the commercially available vegan cat foods add taurine. In fact, even the meat-based cat foods add taurine oftentimes because the rendering process negates the activity of the taurine in the food. So it's added synthetically. But what really ends up being the the issue is uh, urine pH because cats are naturally carnivorous. They're pH is more acidic, and when you give them an alkaline diet, which a plant-based diet is more alkaline than a meat-based diet, they are more likely to develop a more alkaline urine pH. And some cats can be fine with that, but there are a certain percentage of cats who can develop crystals in their urine because of the alkaline urine pH. And if the crystals go unchecked, it can lead to problems, especially in a male cat Because of their anatomy, uh, they are prone to something called urethral obstruction, also known as blockage. And this happens when crystals actually block their urethra, so they literally cannot urinate. And that that is a life-threatening emergency, which requires immediate veterinary care and requires passing your urinary catheter to relieve the obstruction. And it's it's a major hassle, and it's not fun for the cat for sure. So it's something we don't want to have happen. Uh, so if someone is wanting to have their cat on a vegan diet, I definitely recommend getting the urine checked a couple weeks after switching just to see where the pH is, see if they're crystals, and if there are, things can be adjusted in terms of acidifiers that are added to the, the diet. I've read that dogs 
on a, a vegan diet also needs cranberry extract or something so that their urine will be well, more Well, it depends. There, there are certain dogs uh, who may have more urinary problems on a vegan diet, um, certain purebred dogs in particular, and those would be uh, Shih Tzus, Miniature Schnauzers, Bichon Frises, Miniature Poodles, Cocker Spaniels, and Lhasa Apsos. Those are the breeds that can develop urinary stones if their urine pH becomes too alkaline. Now, there are other dogs that could conceivably have that type of problem happen to them, but those breeds are predisposed. So if you have one of those, I definitely recommend getting the urine checked and have your veterinarian help you with a protocol that makes sense uh, for that individual dog. Well, I have a question on that because you just named the two breeds that my dog seems to be a combination of. He's a rescue, but I'm told that he's a schnoodle, part miniature okay. poodle and part schnauzer. Uh-huh. So how do you, as a vegan person who cares about your pet, I mean, when I had cats, I did feed them meat because I just uh-huh. felt that was better for the cat and I would... Yeah. You know, I would just deal with the karma of killing the chickens right. to feed the cat. You know, it's an imperfect world. It is. But, it's a tough dilemma. But with the dog, I really do want him to be vegan, and he seems to enjoy the food and all that. Uh-huh. But if I go to my vet and say, check his urine, I want to know if it's too alkaline, tell me what to do because I want him to be vegan, I mean, I think she's going to call, I don't know, whatever the equivalent is of the Department of pet and family services and say I'm an unfit <laughs> dog mother. Well, hopefully she wouldn't act that way, but I know there are a lot of vets who aren't as sympathetic to guardians who want to put their animals on a plant-based diet, and I think part of it has to do with the way they're trained and their expectations of, of what they think are appropriate diets, uh, which is, is debatable. You know, you ask three different vets what a good diet is, you'll probably get three different answers. And not to say that there isn't truth to different perspectives, but, you know, in in our case, we're concerned ethically about doing something that minimizes harm to all beings, yet we don't want to compromise the health of our companion in the process. So, you know, for your routine health check for your dog, when you take him or her in, they'll do blood, they'll do urine, and you can ask for those records and then have someone you trust that understands where you're coming from, look at the results, and if there is, you know, something that can be done to change the pH, vitamin C is a urinary acidifier. There are various foods that can be added to kind of up, make the pH more stabilized. And that's really only an issue, again, if there are crystals, which if left unchecked can and sometimes turn into stones. Uh, but if there are no crystals, then you can keep, doing what you're doing, or add more water to the food because drinking more water helps dilute out the urine and makes it less likely for crystals to form. So there are ways to handle these things. Now, there are cases, too, where they just may be better off eating uh, a little bit more meat so it balances out the pH of the urinary acidifiers that have already been tried. But I think that you know before you go to that length, you can have it checked and maybe talk with a vegan vet to help you arrive at a, a better solution. Right. And, and you do consultations with people for a, a very nominal yes, charge by, by phone. So you can contact That's Dr. Right. May at veganvet.net if a service like that would be something that, that you would find helpful. And I, I love your attitude, too. I, I think so many people believe that vegans are so incredibly rigid when really we're not being rigid, just we're trying to be consistent. 
and and there is a difference. So there was something that you had to do in vet school that, that just sounds awful. That's called terminal surgeries, and it's part of the training of veterinarians. What is that? So actually, I didn't participate in the terminal surgeries myself, but terminal surgeries are where they take healthy animals from the pound generally, and they bring them to the school. They have the students do surgeries on them in the hopes of training these students how to perform these surgeries in their actual practice. And then the animals are killed at the end, what they refer to as euthanasia. But euthanasia really means good death or merciful death, and I don't think taking the life of a healthy animal is really euthanasia. So these are are very ethically problematic activities going on, and it's certainly something I objected to in in my vet school training. So um, I had a surgery training wet lab that was an alternative to the terminal surgeries, which I helped to organize as the president of the Student Animal Welfare Committee when I was at UC Davis vet school. And we had donations of cadavers, dogs and cats whose guardians uh, had them euthanized for humane reasons or whose uh, the dogs and cats died of natural causes, and then their bodies were donated to the program, a body will donation program it was called. And we then had these cadavers um, stored in a freezer until it was time for the surgery wet lab or training experience to happen. And a number of students who participated, we had close to 60 participants, a number of them indicated that after that they decided to not take the terminal surgery elective course, which was an elective, so it wasn't a requirement, uh, thankfully, for those at least on the small animal track curriculum. Uh, during the core surgery classes, which were required, we did survival space and neuters on dogs from the pound who needed to have that done and then were later adopted out. So uh, that, that was good. But they, and in the past, before I attended Davis, and still to this day at other schools throughout the country, unfortunately terminal surgeries do go on, and there is a move afoot to hopefully change that. But it, it's, a, it's an arduous process. There's a lot of resistance, unfortunately, uh, from various sources because the old ways are, are very entrenched in the teaching methodologies in some of these schools. And in some cases, students who have objected to terminal surgeries have been threatened with flunking and had other problems uh, levied at them for speaking their conscience. But uh, I think all in all, uh, things are slowly you know, moving in the right direction. And the latest veterinary school that opened up just about five, ten years ago in Southern California, uh, University of uh, Western University of Health Sciences here in Pomona, has a reverence for life philosophy. So they don't have any harmful or terminal use of animals in their curriculum. They they have a a willed body donation program, and I've actually donated uh, or had clients whose uh, animals I euthanized for humane reasons at home as a house call vet had those cadavers donated to their program a number of times. So, you know, I think it is something that hopefully will will take hold more as time goes on and people become more aware of, of these issues. It's very interesting that the work that PCRM is doing, Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, to change the ways that medical students are are trained. It's wonderful to see that that's uh, spreading into the veterinary world as well. Is there an organization of vegetarian vets or animal rights-oriented veterinarians if people wanted to find one in their area? You know, that's an interesting question. There used to be the Association of Veterinarians for Animal Rights, and I was a member um, way back when I was in vet school. 
they ended up being merged with the Humane Society, um, gosh, probably about eight years ago now, and they're now known as the Humane Society Veterinary Medical Association. So that is, to my knowledge, the closest of what you're you know, referring to in terms of they're not necessarily vegetarian, um, but they may be more sympathetic to issues such as banning declawing, for instance, which is actually an amputation of a cat's toes, the last digit of a cat's uh, phalanx being removed, which has been banned in eight cities in California now, which I was a part of back in 2009. We helped get it banned in Santa Monica, Culver City, Burbank, Beverly Hills, and Los Angeles. And there's a documentary coming out called The Paw Project, which talks all about that. And it's it's a very inspiring film. I highly recommend people to check it out when it comes to theaters in September. And then it will be on video demand in October. And people can see the trailer at uh, pawprojectmovie.com. You know, that is a heartbreak for me because... Because of the place where I lived at one point in my 20s, I did have two of my cats declawed because the landlord was saying, either you do this or you have to move out. And I look back on that with just so much regret, and I know that all I can do now is do as much for animals as I possibly can going forward, that I really was just uneducated and did not know what a horribly invasive, painful, and and really life-altering surgery that is for a cat. So I celebrate this documentary and everybody doing work to get the word out so that people understand that there are other ways to deal with cats who need to scratch things. Absolutely. And I'm so glad you mentioned that because while it's, it's sad that you were pressured into doing this to your cat by your landlord, you're not the only one who's been in that predicament. In fact, there were people who were featured in the documentary who, who were also regretting their decision and weren't educated about what actually declawing really entails. Some people think it's trimming the nails. They don't realize the pain and suffering it causes these animals and how intrinsic it is to their very being to be able to scratch things and scent mark and so forth. And the, there's a recent law that was passed here in California that prevents landlords from requiring their tenants to declaw or devocalize their animals. So at least here in California, that's in place, although there's not a statewide ban on declawing, just the eight cities uh, in Southern California and then San Francisco and Berkeley have, have banned declawing. West Hollywood was the very first city to ban it back in 2003. So uh, we had a screening of the PAW project just a few weekends ago, and that coincided with the 10-year anniversary of West Hollywood's ban on declawing. Um, but, you know, definitely if New York wants to take this on, I think it would be great and, you know, pass a, at least a, an ordinance to prevent landlords from requiring their tenants to declaw or debark their animals. Yes. I wonder if West Hollywood is the most humane city in America, because I know that they also pass legislation to not sell fur, and I That's think right. also to not sell uh, cosmetics that had been tested on animals in laboratories. Well, they, they are a trailblazer city when it comes to animal welfare. They've also prevented puppies and kittens from being sold in uh, pet stores that are from puppy mills or kitten mills. So there's a lot of awareness regarding that, and the fur ban, uh, the sale of, of fur has been banned in the city of West Hollywood. So I, I think that's a great example they're setting. I, I just hope that other cities you know, follow suit, and you know, it can be done. It takes a collective effort. But it, it definitely needs to start with educating people because there's just a lack of awareness about what these procedures entail, how animals are 
treated on fur farms, for example, it's it's just is so horrific that it you know it's hard for people to even wrap their minds around it. But when they go to to buy a fur coat, it's it's not something they're told. In fact, the retailers will lie to customers, and that's been documented in the documentary Skin Trade, uh, which Shannon Keith produced several years back, and it just shows people telling people that their fur coats were obtained through humane means, that the animals were just given a shot, like when you take your animal to be put to sleep by the vet. Total lies, when in fact what's really happening, these animals are anally electrocuted, they're skinned alive. People don't want to hear that, but that's the truth. And I think once people realize what's actually going on, they're not going to want to be a part of it. Oh, that's so true. Oh, golly, I wish you were cloned and you could be in every city in this country and somebody <laughs> like you could be everybody's vet. So just tell me a little bit about your philosophy of companion animals. I know there are some vegans who just don't believe we should even be having companion animals at all. And yet, mm. oh, my gosh, how much love we can share with them. Well, I've always enjoyed having animal companions in my life, uh, whether they're dogs or cats. I just think that it's a, it's a nice symbiotic relationship to have them in our lives, and we're not hurting them by having them. I certainly don't advocate breeding at all. I think that's something that, that needs to be put a stop to, but as long as they're animals in shelters anyway, we shouldn't be breeding animals. Um, but certainly adopting an animal who needs a home, I think, is, is a wonderful thing. I don't see any ethical problem with that because the alternative is for them to languish in shelters where they're stuck in cages or, you know, confined and not really able to express their their natural instincts or uh, being killed. And, I mean, if, if someone were to ask me what would I prefer to... Uh, just be dead or live in someone's home, I mean, I think the obvious answer is that I would rather be alive even if it's not out roaming in the wild or what have you. And the other thing that sometimes people don't realize is that living in the wild is not a picnic walk. It is really rough out there. I mean, I've seen animals who were covered in parasites, covered in ticks. Some of the places I've I've done volunteer work in Nicaragua and Guatemala, I've seen emaciated, emaciated dogs who were stray dogs running in the streets. And so, you know, if if that's the alternative, I would not be in favor of, of leaving animals to that sort of fate. I don't think that's humane. So we have to operate within the confines of reality. And we did domesticate these animals back 10,000 years ago. And, you know, they're part of our lives. So, you know, I think that's, that's acceptable. We need to re- responsibly take care of them and attend to their needs appropriately. Um, but I, I think there's there's no problem um, with a vegan having an animal companion if they're a responsible guardian. That sounds lovely. And as soon as our show ends, I will take my my beautiful dog Forbes out walking around New York City, <laughs> which he loves fun. more than I do. But I love <laughs> that he loves it. So thank you yeah. so very much for being with us today. Again, you can find Dr. May at veganvet.net. And I invite you to join with us again next week, same time. Our guest next week will be Ellen Canner. She is the Huffington Post Meatless Monday columnist, and she has written a beautiful, thoughtful, spiritual new book about food, 
called Feeding the Hungry Ghost. So thank you so much, Dr. May. Thanks to Jeff for engineering. Thanks to all of you who listen. And remember, eat your veggies. All the best. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Main Street Vegan. Join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time as Victoria Moran entertains, educates, and inspires you on your vegan journey. This program is sponsored by Main Street Vegan. To learn more about Victoria or to explore training with Main Street Vegan Academy as a vegan lifestyle coach, go to www.mainstreetvegan.net. That's www.mainstreetvegan.net. Have you heard about Dr. Tom Shepard's new program on Unity Online Radio? Tom Shepard, isn't he the Unity Magazine question and answer guy? Right. Well, they've actually turned him loose with a radio show, and I hear it's going to be pretty edgy. Edgy? Like what? Guest panelists and students from Unity Institute and Seminary, topics like abortion, gay marriage, war and peace, environmental issues, Islamic fundamentalism, universal health care, religion and politics, current events. Yeah, but they'll all be Unity people, right? Dr. Tom and his students will talk about the hard questions facing all people today, sometimes joined by rabbis, priests, liberal and conservative ministers, Buddhist monks, Baha'is, Hindus. And he's going to interview them on the program? Better. He's going to introduce a controversial topic and let students and special guests go for it. This could get explosive. Does he have guys in black shirts standing by to break up the fights? (laughs) If I know Dr. Tom, he will keep it both friendly and spirited. Whoa, I gotta hear this. When and where? The program is called Let's Talk About It, and it's on every Thursday at 9 a.m. Central Time, only on Unity Online Radio. So let's talk about it. Definitely, let's. According to an ancient Hindu teaching, if you can only speak the truth and tell no lies for 12 consecutive years, you can attain enlightenment. Resolve to be honest with yourself and others starting today. And after 4,383 days, you just may become enlightened. This meditative moment from Reverend Joan Gattuso and Unity Magazine is brought to you by Unity. notice how the funniest things happen when we stop taking ourselves too seriously and step out boldly? Listen to Funniest Thing with Daryl and Ed as these unlikely saints administer a refreshing dose of laughter and love that will inspire you to step out boldly and experience the funniest things. Join the discussion with Daryl and Ed live every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Central Time on Funniest Thing, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. The world is full of voices, advertising, television, politics, 
colleagues, family, and friends. All are too happy to tell us how to live. In all of that noise, it's easy to miss the one voice that matters, your own soul. What would happen if you could hear that voice? Imagine the clarity, confidence, and courage that would be yours and the life you could create. Join Janet Connor, best-selling author of Writing Down Your Soul, The Lotus and the Lily, and Your Soul Wants Five Things, as she and her guests explore how to hear the call of the soul and create the soul-directed life. Live Thursday at 1 p.m. Central, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Go inside to find. We talk to the animals, and we know you can too. On the Animal Communication Podcast, hosted by the three of us, myself, Julie Heert, Aaron Debbie Smith, and Meredith Tollison, we will show you how to deepen your relationship with your beloved animal companions, whether they're alive or in spirit. As soul-level animal communicators, we explain the process and explore topics such as health, behavior, and play, all from the animal's perspective. So subscribe and follow us on Apple, Spotify, and listen as part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network.